Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And we are very proud to announce a new member to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, MR Board Games. And this is the first time that we do a theme episode. Uh, We all got together and decided to do nostalgic games. Games from our childhood. And contributing on this episode are The Meeple Dungeon, Friday Night Games, Matthew Legault, Definitely a Board Game Podcast, Dyson Dragons, The Tabletop Bellhop, Andrew Bookholz, Board on the Air, MR Board Games, and Cardboard Conjecture. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, and this week we are recording a special podcast, uh, a throwback retro games that we played as kids kind of recording. Um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, kind of neat. So what was the first one we were going to talk about here, Anne-Marie? The first game that we played a lot of this week was Yahtzee. Yeah, Yahtzee, a super classic game. Everyone out there should know what we're talking about when we're talking Yahtzee. And the uh, the version we have is Anna Marie's from when she was a kid. And it's actually a Milton Bradley version of the game, which is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it still says that they're owned by Hasbro on the box, but it has the Milton Bradley badging all over it. So it looks pretty cool. I got this. Um, I remember walking through the store with my mom and we played Yahtzee a ton, but this one was a 40th edition, like 40th. anniversary yeah. edition. And that was in, what does it say? 1996 yeah. was the 40th edition of Yahtzee. <laughs> and it had uh, this great little um, dice trucking container that had yeah. like a velvet bottom yeah, and a cup container awesome with it. Awesome quality. And the reason I wanted it so bad was it was the first time I had seen dice that weren't white. They were red yeah. dye with little black speckles black on them. Speckles, and I was like, yeah. oh, I want that. Yeah, and it's crazy how good a condition the game is still in. The, the bowl is super nice. Yeah, it was pretty nice. meticulous. The cup is nice. Yeah, you were for sure. Um, and the game is great. So yeah, you, everyone should really probably know Yahtzee, but it's where you're throwing dice in a cup into a dish. It's a great way for kids to learn strategy, yeah. simply, like and you're first taste. Trying to get three of a kind, four of a kind, uh, add up house. your numbers, full houses, all those cool yeah. things. It's a great game. But uh, the next one we played was one of my favorites from when I was a kid, and that is Rebound. And Rebound was from Ideal Games, which I don't think is, belong- uh, is around anymore. No. And Rebound is a game kind of like, what's it called? Shuffle, uh, shuffle Yeah, Shuffleboard. shuffleboard? Yeah, kind of like Shuffleboard. Um, kind of like curling. But you throw the your rock down the down the, the row and it hits an elastic band at one end and bounces into another elastic band on another side and comes shooting back down <laughs> towards you. And you got to try and get 
to land in one of the point sections at the end of the board without going over and falling off the board into a into the tray. This is also my game from like the early eighties. Yeah. And it's still got the original elastics on it. Yeah, original elastics. So it was kind of fun playing yeah. it this weekend having just uh they were my um the little rocks were getting stuck in them yeah. and it made it it made for fun. But it was great. Yeah. It was really good. And sometimes they would leave the board and end up almost going off the deck and funny stuff. it was always mine yeah, that were leaving the board it's me that does things like that but no it, you couldn't control them no. um so rebound yeah if you want to check that out we actually made a gif of us throwing the rocks on uh, on our twitter so go check that out there uh the next game we wanted to talk about was tribond Tri yeah so tell them about tribond it's just it's basically a it's really simple board um three different tracks for you to go on and it's basically trivia but the trivia is what do these three things have in common so right yeah it would give you what was that one liberty red and bell right yeah exactly. and there are no i said that wrong no but you get the point they liberty say, red and something else pepper and they were all bells yeah, anyways exactly <laughs> i'm messing so it up three clues and you have to to guess of those three, three clues what word they're trying to get you to to come up with. So I am not making the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that game came from uh, Patch Games and Big Fun Agogo Inc. from back in 1989-1992. Uh, safe to say I don't think they're around. But yeah, it's a great little uh, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know, just it's not really trivia, but yeah, it's, just, it's trivia. Okay. It, well, it's sort of trivia, but yeah, yeah. no, it's you kind of get the point. It's a fun little game. It's 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 actually worth your time. Uh, another one we played was called Overturn, and this one, uh, this one's called from from Play Toy Industries. Now, this game actually really intrigued me, and I actually really liked this one. Can you tell them how this one works? Yeah, so you got this. Uh um, you got like a bunch of tiles, and the, each tile has four letters on it, and um, the letters are kind of raised, and it's raised plastic, and then you have rings that you can fit over top of them. So the, it's all randomized. The, the tiles you can pick up and take apart and randomly put them on the board. I think it's four by four or yeah. something like that, three by three uh, for the tiles. And then you basically just, the first person takes their rings, finds a word within um, that are where the letters are connected. They put their rings over the letters. And then yeah. the next person goes and they find a word. It has to have at least one, um, including one of the previously used letters and one new letter. And as you use the, your opponent's letters, you flip the color over of yeah. the ring so that it's your color. Yeah, so so those of you out there that may have played Yinch or, uh, what's it, Czar? Yeah, um, more like Yinch, I think. But yeah, like it has a feel towards like those 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 lines of games where um, it's kind of puzzly and... and um, and cool that you're you're kind of flipping over your your rings to to get more points, and then your opponent's flipping them back to their side. So you're trying to it's kind of a tug of war. It's really cool. Yeah, this and I, one, yeah, that one surprised me a lot. It was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, this one came after a game called Othello, and yeah, it um, says yeah, it says from the makers of Othello. Yeah, yeah, and Othello was more similar to Yinch, where you're f actually flipping over the colored like the colored tiles. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was. It was it was fun. I hadn't played that one in a really long no, time. No, I had never heard of it. And I, I when I first looked at it, I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> sure, I'll play it. But it's actually of the ones we played. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And the last one we want to talk about is an absolute classic card game, Crazy Rummy. I used to play this with my grandma back in the day, and I'm sure you did as well. Oh, a ton. Because yeah. we were a big card-playing family. You were a big card-playing yes. family. One of my favorite classic card games. 
Um, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Crazy Rummy is basically, uh, it's like Rummy on steroids. So there are seven different rounds you play through, like, the first round, you guys need to get three sets of three, and then the next round, a set of three and a run of four, and so on and so forth. And it gets increasingly more difficult until the last round is you need a set of three and a run of seven. You get 13 cards, and, you know, it's same idea as Rummy. Um, and if you, you know, if your opponent goes out before you even get to lay down, you have to count all your cards back, yep. and then you have to do that round again, but they Which move I'm ahead. I'm constantly having to count up how many <laughs> points I got and redo the round as Anna Marie moves on to the next round. This game was actually probably one of your better ones. We we were like thirty within thirty <laughs> points until the last yeah. round, and then I caught you on the last round. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, it's a solid fun game. I played it a ton and. Awesome great yeah. game. Yeah, classic classic card game. So we got to run here. But, uh, yeah, today was also a good day. We went and got our vaccines. Woo-hoo. Yeah, so uh, feeling good one about down, that. One down, one to go. Yeah, hopefully get another one here <laughs> soon. But, yeah, we got to run. We'll see you next week. Take uh, care. Cheers. See ya. All right, Matt here from Friday Night Games, and I'm joined by a very special guest tonight, my wife. Samantha, hi. You could find Friday Night Games on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Okay, Samantha, tonight on What You've Been Playing Wednesday, we're here to talk about a game we played as small children. So I can name a few right off the top of my head. Mm. I really loved Mousetrap. I mean, who didn't? But it wasn't as good as The Great Escape. Uh, the Great Escape? That's the way you do it when you play The Great Escape. Uh, do you remember that jingle? Uh, no. <laughs> it was a game But where why you... does your jingle sound like a very old Italian man singing it? <laughs> I, I think that's what it was supposed to Did be. Today's stereotype old Italian men <laughs> is like, these are the people who want to stomp on grapes? Um, likely. The Play-Doh grapes have to escape being smashed or through gears or rolled over or squished. Um, so it's kind of like Mousetrap, but... Better. 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 Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's actually the game we're talking about tonight. Um, but we should I'll, be. Yeah, because <laughs> we are. Um, I I used to play a lot of uh, Don't Have a Cow Man, <laughs> the uh, Simpsons dice game. It basically taught me how to gamble as a kid. I used to have a roulette roulette wheel, so that's how I learned how to gamble. I mean, your parents did like the casino, so <laughs> maybe they're just trying to get you your mind focused on winning all the time. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Learning the odds. So what game really comes to mind that you played a lot as a child? Uh, well, I didn't play it often, but one that I vividly remember was Pretty Pretty Princess. Ooh. And that was a game that I played with my cousins, and we would have to go through the, the game, and along the way, you would get to pick up jewelry. So either a ring, a bracelet, a necklace, and then finally the crown. And once you get all of the jewelry, then you're crowned the Pretty Pretty Princess. So as you go through the game, like how do you move around the board? Do we really need to talk about the mechanics of a defunct game? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's... It might have been know, dice. Do you even know what know. you signed up for tonight? <laughs> <laughs> there was jewelry involved. That's all that matters. I didn't give you jewelry to... There was oh, a crown. Oh, the game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I did not give you anything to come on this podcast with me tonight. 
<laughs> All right. So we're not here to talk about that game either, but... We should be. Okay. So let's talk Monster Mash. That's a game that both of us played as children. Yes. Um, I was amazing at it. You were not as amazing as I am. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me describe it first of all. So imagine you have the, like all these cards are laid out in front of you and every card has a monster and every monster has a different head, a different body and a different uh, like legs or bottom. <laughs> yeah. And the whole idea is that you'd hit this like spinner thing and the spinner thing would like randomize the image and then whatever image comes up you had like this like plunger like yeah thing. Like it was a, basically like, like a stick with a... that would slap the monster card yeah you'd and slap you'd pick it up yeah you'd slap it right so you'd, so once once with it stopped cup. spinning you saw the image and then you'd have to like use your slapper to find the image on the table yeah you'd hit it with the slapper yes. right and to win the person who has the most the monster most cards. cards wins yes. the game yeah so what'd you like about it everything <laughs> well first of all let me just say that i'm the i thought i was the best at this game i used to beat everyone Until in my family <laughs> well no it was one day we were at school we were talking about our favorite board games as children and even though this is like 20 years ago <laughs> our favorite board game as a child was both said monster mash and i'm like i'm the best at that and you looked at me and you said I, I probably said I'm I'm pretty good at Monster Mash because I always say like it's the only skill I have in life. Yeah, and and you seem very confident about your abilities. Yeah, too. and usually I'm I'm more of a humble person, but I am quite confident in my ability to play Monster Mash. Right, hopefully. humble person. Okay, well we I, I challenged you to it. Yes, because I still had the game, and that was pretty good too. I think I even warmed up to like I kind of re- jog my memory to play it and stuff I'm like oh I'm ready to take on Samantha and then we played it and you just like I don't think I got one demolished yeah yes yeah I completely shut you out and then now now you're like a legend I like talk about how good you are at this game and to the point to which we actually got you to play on our live stream with us and John didn't even believe it John's like no there's no way Samantha's as good at the game and you haven't even touched the game in like 10 years I know aside from that Twitch stream no right and you demolished us like we couldn't yeah. even it was like I you're... still remember all of the monster combinations like in my mind I can't remember I what can't you, you said to me yesterday but I remember all the monster <laughs> combinations in my mind <laughs> yeah so... excellent game <laughs> Excellent. It's a good matching game. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's not my favorite game. I can admit that right away. Mm, It's not anymore. No, definitely not. After after you met me. Not after you beat me in it. (laughs) So what do you like about that the most? Just the matching aspect, the reaction times? Uh, yeah, everything. I feel like it's, uh, you can play it as a solo game too, which I did often. So maybe that's why I'm so good. It's an excellent matching game. There's different combinations of the monsters, but they're similar enough to throw you off a little bit. Yeah. I like, I like the whole, um, reaction time to it. I mean, it's similar to like those games where you have the tiles and you have to kind of like remember where things are. Like concentration. Right. It's similar to concentration. Yes. It is. And all the monster cards are laid out in front of you and you have to figure out where they are, which makes it a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Or, make or kind of develops that skill plus you have the reaction time first person it's like spoons first person to grab it gets it right right so it has that reaction time plus memory plus uh pattern recognition so it's a pretty cool game what don't you like about it nothing everything about it is wonderful uh i don't like that i lost so badly to you and how confident you were when you told me how good you were i'm like you deserve to lose let's go and they hear evil laughter over there <laughs> uh, no, um, truly though, their their only flaw with the game is that once you get to the end, the spinner can continually spin. You can g- 
have to press that spinner multiple, multiple times before you get one of the remaining combinations of monsters that are left on the board. But let's just be honest. You have all the monsters anyway. So at that point in the game, it's just like some people battling for second place. Uh, Yes, exactly. Battling for the one point. Exactly. Unless you really want to teach us a lesson, I guess. (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. That's Monster Mash. Uh, You will probably never play it. I don't think you could buy it anymore. So. I still have a copy, so if anyone wants to borrow it. All right, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website, FridayNight.Games. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew from Montreal-based board game publisher Scorpion Masque who now hold the number one and number two slots in the BGG Kids Games rankings, with Zombie Teens Evolution moving into second place behind top-ranked Zombie Kids Evolution. If you haven't tried out these family-style legacy games, well, what are you waiting for? When I was a kid, my best friend was Joe. Our parents were friends before we were born, and we were raised together. We both loved two things, playing games and hockey. Now, I can't remember the first games we played together. It was probably checkers, then chess, and other variant games played on those boards like Fox and Geese. We played Monopoly, of course, but let me tell you something about that game. I always hated it. Now, I know it's popular to hate on Monopoly, but the reason I really disliked the game was because I felt just as bad winning as I did losing. The feeling of inescapable doom in a losing game every time I rolled the dice and watched my money dwindle and disappear as I mortgaged one property after another. And then, when I was on top, that ugly, dirty feeling of watching opponents count their measly dollar bills in the hopes of staying out of the poorhouse for my benefit made me feel just as bad, if not worse. Ugh, just not the game for me at all. But we also played a ton of Risk. Now, I love the early and mid-stages of that game as we jockey for position and establish strongholds. Brazil versus West Africa was always a favorite of ours. And we try to come up with clever and surprising plans, and then, five hours later, the total board sweeps as each player tries to wipe the other one off the face of the map. It was always much less interesting to me. Then, one birthday, I figure we were about 11 or 12, Joe was allowed to buy a board game from our local game and hobby store. We did a couple of weeks of research before, which in those days meant going to the store and reading all the backs of every game box we can get our hands on and then sort of talk about it between ourselves. And finally, we went in together with his dad and purchased the most expensive game I had ever seen in the biggest game box I had ever seen. We brought it home, opened it up, stared in awe at the components, and started reading the rules to access an allies. For those of you who don't know this venerable granddaddy, Axis and Allies was published in 1984 by Milton Bradley as part of their Game Master series, which also included Fortress America and Shogun. Now, the original designers of these games never even got any credit on the box fronts. But, just so you know, the designer of Axis and Allies was a fellow called Larry Harris. Axis and Allies is a dice-heavy World War II strategy game set in 1942 at the point where the Axis powers, Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, were at the height of their expansion and just before the Allies, Britain, Russia and the USA, were to turn the tide against them. In a two-player game, you each pick a side. In a game with more than two players, each player takes a nation with some doubling up if you have fewer than five. 
Now, the part of the game I always loved was the setup. You'd meticulously place your pieces on the main board according to the setup guide on the player boards, and as you did that, you'd be thinking over your strategy and wondering what you... Well, actually, you know what? I, I can't just gloss over the game pieces like that. The Axis and Allies game pieces were the greatest I had ever seen. Infantry troops were actual little army men. Each nation's slightly different. Japanese troops had long rifles with bayonets attached, held sort of shoulder high. British troops were slightly hunched with their rifles at the ready. And German soldiers were striding forward, ever the aggressors. There were solid tanks and little fighter planes, imposing bombers, sleek submarines, plucky transports, commanding battleships, and huge aircraft carriers that you could actually put fighters on. You could actually put the planes on the ship. It was incredible. And under these figures, you could put some plain little white, red, or plastic chips to represent one unit each, just so the board didn't get too cluttered. Each unit has a movement value, can move and attack once per turn, and there's a redeployment afterwards. For instance, planes can't land on newly conquered territory. And as far as combat goes in the game, each unit gets a single die roll in battle to either attack or defend, and each unit was assigned a number on a six-sided die. And if it rolled that number or below, it hit. So if I had six infantry attacking, for instance, I could roll six dice. Any ones would hit and destroy an enemy unit. If I was defending with three infantry, I would move all units that were hit into the casualty area where they would get a chance to strike back at two or less. <laughs> the most powerful attack units in the game were bombers and battleships, while both fighter planes and battleships defended extremely well. And the luck of the dice played a huge part in the game. A mighty battleship could annihilate a pathetic troop transport ship only to be scuttled by a lucky parting shot, sending them both to Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> the gameplay is pretty straightforward. At the beginning of your turn, you purchase units with IPCs, International Production Credits, based on the value of the territories you own. Then you move your pieces to do battle, then you fight, then you do non-combat movement, you place your purchased units on the board, and you collect your IPCs, your, your money. You just, let's just call it money. And that's it. Next player's turn. Now, learning the game was a bit of an uphill climb for two young boys who, despite having plenty of board game plays under their belts, were more than a little daunted by the complexity of this beast. But you know what? We did it. Well, we did it, but there was one stutter step. I distinctly remember how our first game finished. In classic style, the Allies, led by Joe, had battered through my defenses and had taken Western Europe, and it was only a matter of time before Berlin would fall. But wait... A couple of lucky rolls allowed me to develop long-range aircraft, and, as the jaws of defeat were about to close on me, I managed to hold on to Moscow and fly my bomber across the Atlantic Ocean to the deserted eastern United States and land it in the heart of Washington, D.C. <laughs> Victory was mine! We were stunned! <laughs> yeah, the next day we looked over the rules again and realized that this was a massive breach of the rules, and... Just, I, I, there's no way I could have won. Like I said, planes can't land on newly conquered territory. <laughs> so we tried again. And again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Despite the game's monumental length, easy four to six hours playtime, we played and played and played that game to death. We pushed it under Joe's bed on Sunday afternoon and pulled it back out Friday evening to play late into the night and then discussed the battles as he lay in his bed and I lay on the floor in my sleeping bag having a sleepover, just waiting to be able to play first thing in the morning. There are a few battles that are turning points in the game. For instance, Russia needs to win the battle for Eastern Europe 
or Ukraine, the, ga the game's beginning. If they lose, well, it's simply a matter of holding on for dear life for the rest of the game. Britain needs to win the North Sea battle or else it's stuck on its island trying to figure out how to get out. Japan needs to take Alaska, and Germany needs to crush the Russians early, and, well, the U.S. can just sort of sit back and build and build and build. This game played an enormous role in building the kind of player I am today. I was never as good strategically as Joe, but I was sneaky, and I was able to think outside of the box to get me out of tight spots. It's a skill I can still call on from time to time to this day. And the final thing I'll say about this game is its impact on me as an amateur game designer. Once Joe and I had played Axis and Allies to death, we came up with a new way to play it. We'd count up our total units of every type, make a supply of them, and, turn by turn, place them on the board on spaces belonging to us. This changed the dynamic of the game significantly. Now Britain could have a starting factory on India and a huge pile of troops in Egypt. The US could take a stronger foothold in Xinjiang, Japan could bolster Manchuria, Germany could establish a base in Algeria, and Russia... Well, Russia could just hold on for dear life and hope for the best. This new game style was incredible and strategic and dynamic. We played it like crazy and we loved it. I still love it. In fact, having talked about it for this long, I'm itching to play it now. Get the, the big handful of dice rolling, get those submarine sneak attacks going, get those infantry movement units moving in. Come on, give me a one and Ukraine is finally gonna be... Uh, okay, back to, back to Moscow it is. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Matthew Legault from Scorpio Masque. Please check out all the games in our catalog at scorpiomasque.com. And thanks to the game at Cardboard Conjecture and what you've been playing Wednesdays for having me on again. I'll see you all next time. Hey, folks. I'm Ryan, the Bridge City Board Gamer, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers. And we've got some stuff on our YouTube channel, but uh, nothing as of late. Now, this week is a very special week here on What You've Been Playing Wednesday podcast, where we are focusing on games where we played when we were kids, in our youth, or maybe just older games in general. And I think I'd be speaking for most of the cast that there are a lot of great games and a lot of not-so-great games that we played in those early years. For me, I was an 80s kid through and through. Waking up on Saturday mornings was a pinnacle of my childhood and watching all of those great cartoons and getting sucked into all the toy advertisements while at it. So many of these stood out, and I can remember them fondly, but none of them stood out more than... Yeah, that's right, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because of these radical beings, every kid wanted to do karate, have a pet turtle to name the Michelangelo, you know, as the turtle, not the famous art figure, collect all the action figures, and of course do wild stunts while shouting, Cowabunga, dude! And eating pizza. Ah yes, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I had it all. Even... The 1987 board game Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Pizza Power Game, published by Milton Bradley. No credited designers or artists, but that art style is very reminiscent of, a, you know, the Kevin Eastman blended in with that classic cartoon adaptation. 
Pizza Power. Looking back, I'm not even sure we ever played the game correctly. We had some knowledge as it really it's just one of those roll and move sort of games. Roll a d6 and move to the corresponding spaces and do the associated action. You know, populate the board with bad guys, draw some good guys into your hand, fight the bad guys, spin the pizza spinner, and, you know, move the sewers around. What are you trying to do in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Pizza Power game? Well, is to defeat the different bad guys. You know, defeat four bad guys, collect four different good guys, and once you've accomplished this, it becomes a race to the Technodrome and be the first one to complete the final challenge. Which, if anyone has been able to do it on their very first try, you're a liar. Most of the gameplay is collect these good guys and use them to fight the bad guys with the, at the time, revolutionary battle flipper. This weird seesaw-like component that turned the fighting into a dexterity game. The battle flipper has sections numbered on it, 1, 2, 3, which correspond to the bad guy cards that also have a 1, 2, or a 3 on them. If a bad guy has a 2 on it, that is the zone that you need to flip the die into to defeat the bad guy. Now, the good guy cards that you use will also either have a number 2 or 3 on them. And this just only just, just dictates to you how many attempts you have to defeat the bad guy. So if it has a 3 on it, you have 3 tries to flip it into that component. If you win the battle, you collect the bad guy and keep your hero. However, if you lose the battle, the bad guy stays put and you lose your hero. Now, once you've collected three bad guys, four good guys, you need to complete the final challenge at the Technodrome, which is to flip the die into each of the one, two, and three slots on the Battle Flipper with only four tries. If you did it on your first try, you're a liar. All right. I don't think we've ever actually ever done it. Oh, and if it weren't for that pizza, the pizza spots on the board, it would take forever to do any of these actions in this game. Because you see, this pizza spinner spot allows you to spin the spinner that has a 75% probability to move to any game space on the board. So many rainy days at the lake were spent playing this game with my brother and cousins. Frantically flipping, and flipping that stupid flipping die where all, 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 after a short amount of time the game just divulges into who can flip the die the farthest by hitting the hardest keeping a secret my mom still doesn't know that that's where the crack in the mirror came from i wonder why no other games ever use the battle flipper i guess we will just never know such a simple game that advertises a 20 minute playtime that i don't think we ever finished a game we had so many house rules to make the playtime faster, one of them being to use multiple hero cards to increase the number of chances we got to defeat a bad guy. Why does only one hero get to fight at a time? It really didn't make any sense. This past weekend, I introduced Pizza Power to my five-year-old son, where, where we were not even close to even finishing a game, had we, and had we spent the better part of 45 minutes just trying to hunt down wherever the die got flipped off the table to. But he did request to play it again on Sunday, and we were even better at it then. We even started telling and making up stories about what was going on, so I'm so glad that I held on to this game for so many years. While well, my parents held on to it at the lake in the games closet, nestled right there between a Ramoli tray, Rebound, Crib Boards, Payday, The Game of Life, and even Stratego. Ah, uh, those were the days. 
And I can see that same joy that I had playing games on the rainy afternoons doing my son right now as we play. Okay, I better go before I start tearing up. And that's what I was playing when I was a kid. I'm Ryan of the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean, and wherever podcasts can be found. Also, be sure to follow us out, follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see what we've been up to lately. Okay, folks. Cowabunga, dudes. Turtle power. Hello, I am Aaron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games. Except when they're not. And we're here on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. A very special What You've Been Playing Wednesday. This is a themed What You've Been Playing Wednesday, as I'm sure you've already figured out. And we're going to be talking about games we played when we were younger, games that we played when we were growing up, that sort of thing. And this actually worked out really well because in our last episode, episode 30, we talked about games we played when we were growing up. We had Steve Tassie from Snakes and Lattes on as a guest. And Snakes and Lattes is Snakes and Ladders. Snakes and Ladders was a game we played growing up. Therefore, it seemed a, a nice combination so you can find out our top three games that we played growing up but we thought we'd talk about one here just each and you know get and i give you an idea of what sort of games we played when we were kids and you can go over to our podcast to get a little more detail if you're interested so aaron what did you play growing up that's a strange coincidence isn't it the timing is everything on that one yeah yeah really worked out well Nice. Well, I'm going to talk about a game that I used to play in my early teen years that has been redone, reduxed, re whatever you want to call it, remastered, remixed. You might even say restored. Restored. That's a good word. Since it's for restoration games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going. Well, that, that <laughs> it was better before. Anyway, <laughs> I used to play Fireball Island. Do you remember this one? I do. Yep. Yep. I don't honestly remember all the rules. All I know is that you were these little, you had these little like toy soldier looking guys and you had to climb at what was a 3D game board. And at the top was this mean looking fire cave and you would drop red marbles inside and it would roll down the 3D board. And if you were in the way of that marble, poof, you were gone, knocked off. And uh, you were always hoping it would get your opponents and not you. Um, so it was one of those games, I think, that you could actually get almost to the end and then have to start over from scratch if you got hit by a red ball. I'm not really sure why I liked it at all, but it brings back fond memories. I loved getting it as a, as a gift as a kid. Played it with all the, the neighbor kids. Lots of fun. Um, not sure I to grab the new one. I'm not sure if it's aged that well. I'm not sure if they've even aimed it at adults that played the first one. Do you know? It's apparently it's excellent with adults. Uh, everyone I've known who's played it has really enjoyed it. Okay, it's not something I'm particularly interested in. I but maybe for you, it, it might be one to try first. Try yeah. first, yeah. So maybe I'll try the new one. And if you're listening to this and you have an original uh, still in its box uh, from the 1980s, uh, congratulations. You could probably retire because <laughs> I imagine it carries a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of money. Anyway. What you been playing on Wednesday? Or, sorry, what you been playing as a child? 
on Wednesdays. So you talked about a game that has been re-released with a new rule set. I thought I would talk about one that is basically exactly the same as it was when I played it as a child. (laughs) And I think still holds up incredibly well. It's easy to find. It is an amazing game. And that's Rummy Cube. Nice. Yeah. So Rummy Cube was published by Hasbro originally. It was designed by a guy named Ephraim Herzano in 1977. And it's like... Uh, playing gin rummy only you're playing it with a collective set so you're working to make the sets in a collective area it's still competitive it's not co-op but you get to play off of each other so if one person plays a straight you can then add to that straight or replace in that straight and split it up into different straights and it's just a fantastic fantastic game really fan uh brings back wonderful memories of playing with my grandparents uh can't can't recommend it enough. It really holds up well. It's still as good a game as it ever was. And you, Rummy can, Cube. And you can still find it, you said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can even find it in, like, Walmart and Target. They have copies. Nice. Uh, Indigo Books has copies, yeah. Hmm. There you go. Now, So there are apparently diamonds in the rough there. Sure. Let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know what? Let us know what you played as a kid. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can always email us at definitelyboard at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Board Definitely, Facebook at Definitely Board. And of course, if you want to listen to us two morons every other Tuesday, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the podcast places, or just Google Definitely a Board Game Podcast and listen to our episodes right there on the website. It's impossible not to find us. We've made it so easy for you. It's definitely possible. (laughs) On that, we'll see you on the next What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie. And together, we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons or Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And today it's a very special episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays where we talk about the games that got us into gaming. Well, board gaming specifically. I mean, this is a board gaming podcast. So Julie, I'll let you take it away and talk about the game that got you into this hobby. I think there were two. There was your first uh, steps in and then the one where I kind of roped you and dragged you in, and uh, you've now been swimming in board games for the last few years. Yeah, so I, I, we've always played board games in our family, and I played, I, I mean, I grew up playing board games. I played, you know, Payday and Monopoly and uh, games like that. Sorry. I didn't play a lot of Sorry, actually. I played a lot of Monopoly, a lot of Payday. We really like Payday. That being said, you know, as I grew up, we also played, you know, I played Cranium. I played things like that. I played Ticket to Ride. So, I, you know, we played the more conventional Hasbro-type uh, board games. Well, Ticket to Ride is definitely probably the first board game, or at least modern board game, that you played then. Yeah, I mean, Cranium is also, a, you know, a party-type game, so... Yeah, that's more of a party game than Ticket to Ride, though. So, in any case, I mean, those were the games that we played. Uh, the The game that brought me into this uh, this lifestyle, I guess, uh, would be Descent. Uh, that's where I realized that I enjoyed more complex, I would say, 
uh, games or more involved games than than just uh, your typical uh, uh, standard Saturday night family uh, game? Well, I, I wouldn't call Ticket to Ride a Saturday night family game. I think it depends on your players. You can definitely play it that way, but it can also get fairly cutthroat and brutal. As we saw at one of our game nights, I, I think convinced both of us that we never want to play Ticket to Ride again. No, I, <laughs> that's you. I mean, we were just playing with some some players that just had decision paralysis, and it was the oh. longest game of Ticket to Ride I've ever played in my life. But... A three-hour game of Ticket to Ride. That's when I made the decision, I think I'll stick with the smaller boards and smaller boxes because... I like what the game does, but uh, I don't want to spend an hour, <laughs> sorry, a few hours you playing just, it. You were just unfortunately playing with people who, you know, didn't know how to play. Because uh, I played this, I played this with a bunch of, I played Ticket to Ride with a lot of different people. I played it with my family. I played it with friends. Uh, and this was by far the worst game of Ticket to Ride that I've played, and I've played a lot. So I think you just had a rough introduction to the game. That being said, what was your intro game, Jason? Well, like you, we played a lot of board games uh, in the house. I would say that, uh, you know, we played Sorry, a lot of Monopoly, Payday, 13 Dead End Drive, uh, Clue. Oh, a lot of Clue too, yeah. Guess Who, I don't, I don't know if we call that a board game. Connect Four, grew up on Connect oh, Four. Oh, I played a lot of Battleship too. Battleship. I mean, like, so all of the standard stuff, board gaming was definitely uh, popular in the house. Uno, which is more of a card game. I think that's where I got my love of, of uh, card games like Presidents. But I'd say, like, when I really started to get into, like, did my tone to hobby games, I really enjoyed playing uh, Hero Quest, Battle Masters. But we always struggled with Hero Quest because no one really wanted to run the game, be that uh, Dungeon Master character. So while Hero Quest was really cool and I knew that I loved like RPG style games, the game that brought me in was the Omega Virus, which is probably the game that we played uh, the most that would qualify uh, as a hobby game when I was a kid. At the big box, it would make noise that you would have to interact with as you're racing around the board to collect the items that you need to be the first to stop the virus before your space station exploded. And that was really when I knew I loved board games because the game was cool. You had miniatures in that. There were only four, but I loved the way that the uh, the pieces looked. They almost had a Warhammer 40K uh, Space Marine type look and it's a really fun game. And then when I got back into gaming was uh, University where we started playing Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. And after that, I was hooked. I knew that I liked playing board games. I just didn't have the money being a university student to afford a lot of board games. Didn't know where to find a lot of them. And when I did, I uh, saw the price and it was uh, a lot more cost prohibitive than uh, I thought. But uh, yeah, so once I knew I liked Arkham Horror 2nd Edition, I was back into the hobby and always eager to play a game whenever the uh, opportunity arose. Yeah, he'd play 24 hours a day if he could. But not play 24 hours a day. I just like to finish things that I start so much like my video game habit. When I start a game, I like to play it to the end. Then I can take a break for a while. But that doesn't always work well because we start campaign games and Julie wants to take more breaks. And I'm just like, no, finish it now. So there you have it. That's our history in gaming. I don't think there's really much more that we, we want to say. Uh, Julie started with... Ticket to Ride and Descent. Well, you didn't really talk about Descent. Like, what got you hooked into the hobby with Descent? Ah, I just love the campaign element, the fact that it was cooperative. And, you know, I realized that I love 
beating up on bad guys with really powerful characters. Yes, and then we played uh, Imperial Assault, and that was a game that taught her that she actually likes to be the fighter. She used to always have to be the ranged character until she played the Wookiee and realized how much fun that can be. Mm-hmm. When we were playing Journeys in Middle-Earth, she got really upset at me for picking Arwen because she didn't look at the cards, and she's like, well, Arwen's the healer. That's not going to be fun. And then she realized that Arwen could heal and knife everyone, which was really cool for me. And why she picked her the next time. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. That's our history in gaming. Julie, where can everyone uh, find us once again? On uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> as well, and, at Dyson Dragons, I should say, and as well on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And don't forget, keep, keep playing, playing games. games. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at TabletopBellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that to questions at TabletopBellhop.com or visit the webpage I just mentioned and click on Ask the Bellhop at the top of the page. Now, normally the question I would be answering here is what I've been playing in the last week, in which case I'd be telling you all about Adventuria, the adventure card game from Ulysses Spiel. Instead, though, the group as a whole decided that they wanted to talk about some of their favorite older games, first games they played or games they loved as kids. So I'll be talking about that today. Now, I want to talk about one of my favorite games of all time. A game I still break out every now and then, especially if I've got some friends over and we've cracked open some beers. And that is Cats by Chieftain Games. This is a Canadian publisher that sadly didn't last the test of time. Now, once discovering Board Game Geek, I learned that Cats was also published in the US, Germany, and other international locations from a variety of different publishers, though they all seem to have changed the name to Cats Mansion. So actually, that's what you'll find it under Board Game Geek as. Now, this is a very light deduction game for two to four players that's best with four. It plays in anywhere from five minutes to half an hour. The board itself shows a mansion that's very reminiscent of the board in Clue. On it are 12 rooms and the hallways connecting those rooms broken up by a square grid. Now, right in the middle of the board are five cat beds in five different colors. And on those cat beds, you put cat miniatures. Now, before I go on, I have to highlight just how awesome these miniatures are. These are plastic, fully painted, very durable little cats painted in mostly realistic cat colors. So there is one that's kind of blue. These actually remind me of the knickknacks you get with Red Rose Tea. They're really high quality. Now, once you place these great looking cats, there are four spots on the board where you're going to place four objects that the cats are looking for. There's a mouse, a fooled bowl, a pillow, and a present. These are also plastic, but just uh, coated with silver, so they're reflective. Now, a pair of cards are dealt to each player that indicates which cat they are and what object they desire. This info is kept secret from everyone. You also get a hand of purr meow cards. These cards either say meow or purr on them and a color of a cat. Now, the meows actually show one of the 12 rooms on the board as well, whereas the purrs show a sleeping cat. Now, each round of the game, you decide who the first player is and you're going to go and you're going to get four action points. 
Now these can be used to move a cat one square or an object one square. When moving, if a cat ends up next to another cat, they can hiss at that cat, moving that other cat one square away. But remember, you can't hiss a cat through a wall. After moving, players can play meow cards. When these, when these are played, the cat shown on the card is moved to the room that's shown on the card. And supposedly it represents the cat hears a meow in that room and runs over to check it out. Now, before moving that cat, though, any player can play a per card showing the proper cat, and that cancels the move. Now, the game continues until one of the players gets their cat to their desired object. And that's it. That's all there is to cats. Well, it seems simple. The fact that no one knows which player is playing which cat or what object they're trying to reach, combined with the fact that any player can move any cat or any object, is just brilliant and works really well. This is what keeps me coming back to this game again and again over the years. Well, that and the awesome cat miniatures. Now, over the years, I we've added a couple house rules to the game just from playing it probably hundreds of times. Now, the biggest one being that normally, once a purr card is played on a cat, that cat is now content and happy and won't move again. We found the game far more fun and entertaining by ignoring this rule. So the same cat can end up getting meowed multiple times in a row or getting meowed, then purred, then meowed again. And the cat ends up running all over the house, checking out all kinds of different rooms due to multiple players being able to meow the same cat. Not only do we find the game more fun, to me this is more thematic when you see a cat just go nuts and run all over the place. The other thing I did when I was a kid was I decided to combine the board and cats with Games Workshop and Milton Bradley's Hero Quest, where we had the amusing house rule that you can't hiss a cat through a wall, but you can punch an orc through a window. I loved cats ever since getting it for my birthday as a kid in the 80s. I still have my copy and play it pretty regularly. Despite being a simple kids game, it looks great and I've had a ton of fun playing this with my kids and with adults and even with hardcore Euro and train gamers. And I don't expect this to ever change. I think I'll have my copy of Cats in my collection for the rest of my life and pass it on to my kids when I'm gone. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Find lots more gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com. And be sure to check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Edited episodes show up on your podcasters Tuesday mornings. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno. Good night and game on. Hi, this is Andrew Buckle at SupportingGame.com, and this week I'm here to talk about Careers. Careers is a 1955 design from James Cook Brown, initially put out by Parker Brothers. What I think is really cool about Careers is while it still has many of the roll and move ideas of that era, it innovates on them in some interesting ways. For one thing, you don't always have to roll on your turn. Over the game, you'll get to draw opportunities and experience cards. Opportunities let you advance to a particular career, sometimes even paying the entrance fee for you. And experience cards let you move a predetermined amount, which is quite handy instead of having to roll the die and just accept what it gives you. 
The dice rolling in this game is also interesting. You roll two dice while you're moving around the outside board, but while you're in a particular career, you only roll one die. So the movements there are a little smaller and a little more impactful, and that's where the experience cards often come in very handy, because many of the spaces in career, in individual careers, are good, and some of them are bad. So an experience card at the right time can help you get the right thing rather than the wrong thing. Another thing that's great about careers is that it gives you individual victory conditions. Before the game, you get to choose what mix of money, fame, and happiness you're aiming for, and you write this down on your sheet, and that is secret until you achieve it. So people involved in playing this game aren't going for the same things all the time, and different careers reward different uh, tracks at different rates. So there are some careers that are very good for fame, like politics, and there are some that are very good for happiness, like going to sea. And if you want to focus on money, you can do things like big business or uranium prospecting. So the game sets up in a way that each player has a slightly different goal to accomplish. The other thing that's cool about these goals is that you can set them to different amounts. So if you want a longer game than the standard, that's easy to do. If you want a shorter game than the standard, that's easy to do. I have great memories of playing careers at my grandparents' lake house, and it was something that always worked well for a lot of generations of our family. There's some strategy to it, so it's not completely random, but it's also a game with a low barrier of entry that even younger kids can play. Later on, I played it quite a bit with my parents, and I think it's a game that still holds up reasonably well. It isn't going to be as complicated or as strategic as some modern designs, but for its era, I think Careers is a remarkable accomplishment. If you're interested in more of the background on Careers, there's a great opinionated gamers piece on it from this March in their Gaming Timeline series focused on 1950 to 1959. And as Larry Levy writes there, this game was actually designed by sociologist James Cook Brown. Brown was also a sci-fi author, published some interesting novels there, but this is a, quite a cool game that he managed to come up with, and it's one that managed to stick around for more than 50 years. I think Careers is still a perfectly good mass-market game, and it's still one I'm quite happy to play if anyone is ever interested. This is Andrew Buckholtz. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can read my board game writing at boardandgame.com. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? A weekly podcast of Canadian content creators. Where we are the only ones who say the name of the show wrong. I told you I put it to a vote and we won. No, you put it to a vote and four people agreed with you. Yeah, exactly. But only six disagreed. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, tonight we are doing a throwback episode where we talk about a game from our childhood or a while back. Uh, We went with the classic Crokinole. Mm Mm-hmm. In Crokinole, you each have 12 discs, and you shoot them back and forth until uh, you run out, and the person who has the most points wins. Absolutely. This is one of the only 
of only I think two games on BGG's top 100 that are not that have not come out in like the past decade. Well, since you know, designer is it the board last game. Decade, or it's is... not the last decade, but like you got to admit all of Post the games 2000, that, Yeah, basically. all of the games on the BGG's top 100 are kind of cult of the new, you know, up high on there. They've they've come out relatively recently. Uh, but Crokino and Go is the other one that's on there. Yeah. In the top 100. Yeah, so Crokino can be played with two or four people. Uh, I've played it both ways. Me and you last night were playing it with two people. Yep. Uh, you're trying to get to 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're, as a, the first shot has to be shot towards the middle. And after that, you're trying to hit the other person's disc to stay on the board. Yeah. Uh, one of us was more successful than the other. I was terrible at it. Uh, you, you, you struggled. I tried to give you tips and you just got mad at me. It was so bad. <laughs> I mean, I got better as I went on, but I just don't have the, um, the patience, or at least last night I didn't have the patience to do this game. Yeah. It's just like, I just want to flick it. I don't, I just want to flick it. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, it's like you're flicking it wrong. It's like, how do you flick something wrong? Exactly. And it's. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's probably, I'm going to say, the original dexterity game. Yeah. And it's, there, there is a skill to it, right? You, mm-hmm. you can't just walk in and be good at this game. Yeah. So did you play this one as a child or? Uh... Uh, I got into this one later on. Yeah. Uh, I would say in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, which is still enough years ago to be considered an oldie. Yeah, absolutely. Like th- this one it's has, not a new game. No, this one has been out for a long time. And, and you go online and you see all these beautiful handcrafted boards yeah. that spin and do all sorts of stuff. We have, I don't know how old this board is. I, I took it from my parents' house and uh, because I, I, I like the game and I thought it'd be good to have around. Yeah. Well, uh, you might as well, right? But it, it does have the siding of uh, uh, 70s house. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's a weird metal siding. It, it is a tin siding <laughs> around the outside of this board, <laughs> which is wild. A bright yellow board, a with ugly a, yellow uh, board with a red, a, a red. Yeah, it's very much a seventy. I want to. I'm putting this at seventies. I I could see seventies, sixties maybe, maybe sixties. Yeah, it's it's a bit ugly. Uh, it's in good shape. Though. It is though. It's flat. Yeah, it, it is flat. Uh, there's no marks on the board or on the playing surface. Yeah. Uh, I was looking online and they talk about using uh, shuffleboard salt and you just dip your pieces in and do it that way and it's supposed to make them slide faster and easier. I'm thinking I, I would just shoot I, them across yeah, the Yeah, I don't way. need that. I already shoot them too hard. I need something to slow them down yeah. a little bit. We'll put glue on your side and salt on mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a, an interesting game. Yeah. I, I do think it's, it's fun to talk about because it's also a... BGG Top 100 game that came from Canada. Like, as far as I know, yeah. this game has basis. It originated in Canada. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Four-player version of it. Everybody has six discs, and you're just going in a circle and playing the same way. There's just people shooting from more directions. Yeah. I can imagine it'd be easier to hit other players, char- uh, not characters, um, discs, yeah. with four people, because uh, you'd be coming from different angles rather than straight across the board. Yeah, and... There's, I, I, I believe it was more chaotic, more than I anything. could see that, yeah. yeah. So. There's not much story to this game. No. Did, <laughs> did you like it? Uh, I don't think I disliked it. Okay. Uh, I wasn't very good at it. 
and so, my finger was a little sore afterwards. <laughs> that would be because you're hitting him too hard. <laughs> uh, this one also, like playing this reminded me of Call to the New Sonora. Yeah. Sonora is just a small version of Crokinole. And it's fun, but it doesn't have the skill level that Crokinole does. No, I like Sonora, though. Yeah, Sonora, you're just hitting it as hard as you can and hoping it ends up somewhere. Yeah, and my favorite thing is is that I just randomly pick the discs. Like, I don't pick the numbers at all. I know there's something to do with the numbers and the rules, but I don't care. Yes. But yeah, I mean, Sonora completely came from Crokinole, Oh, yeah, it's it's a big steal. It's just a mini, mini version of it. Yeah. Okay, so that's Crokinole. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are a weekly podcast slash radio show. Uh, You can catch us on CFCR every Thursday night in Saskatoon on CFCR and all of your favorite podcasting sites. Yes. And thank you for joining us for What Have You Been Playing Wednesday. Have a good night. Hey everybody, it's M. What's going on, folks? It's R. And together we are Mr. Board Games. And we are the newest cast members of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays with the Cardboard Conjecture, a podcast involving board games here with Canadians. And we're super excited because this is the first time we've been asked to do anything other than our own stuff. And we are supposedly, depending on how this goes, we may be regulars on it every Wednesday the best we can. Yeah, when we have time and aren't working tons beforehand. So today we've been asked to talk about board games of our youth. So old games that we all know or have played when we were kids. So I will start off if that's okay with M. Yeah. You go for it. So there's a variety of board games out there as kids. We have our Hasbro type games, which is your Clue and your, you know, your Sorry and your uh, Monopoly and all that stuff. But one other game that I didn't want to choose the basic Hasbro. Hasbro. (laughs) The one other one I went with is a board game, which I actually never really truly played because I never knew the rules or anything up to it, but my brothers owned it. So we played it and it's a game called siege and the only thing that i remember with this whole siege is basically you've got two camps uh, one's a castle one's a camp and you had to basically you had to shoot your opponent and try to take out all their dudes um and they was kind of a unique thing where they had the elastics on like a like a window so when you shot it through the window it shot up and then the guy went flying across the the table and this is of course was a game that was designed around the time when <laughs> safety rules for board games didn't exist like small lawn... pieces were abundant yes small pieces were abundant <laughs> things like lawn darts where we didn't really care if you got hurt or not if you got hurt it was your own fault uh and the way that we shot things was legitimately that it came with catapults uh ballistas and cannons and marble-sized plastic balls, which you dropped into the thing, you brought it back, you aimed it up, and you launched it. It was and, so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it was extremely dangerous. I don't even remember what the rules are because we never actually read the rules. I don't even know how my brothers got it. I just remember 
catapults marbles and shooting it at like a coat of arms to drop a drawbridge to shoot at the the window to make the guy fly off the top so it's funny you say that you don't know how your brothers got it apparently it was a very popular game in like the late 80s early 90s because when i went to buy you a copy off of ebay there was lots of like we're missing parts mostly because we lost it when we were children but there was tons of copies of it and i don't think any copy actually came with a rule book i don't even remember seeing a rule book in the original copy i feel like there wasn't it was probably just like the first person to knock out everybody else the other person's dudes wins and if you still have both your eyes at the end of the day, you also win. <laughs> See, now you had the advantage. You had an advantage as the at the castle because you had to hit the drawbridge, and then you had to hit the like the gate, and then you had to shoot it into the keep. Yeah. So you had like a. It was a little bit more of a challenge, but yeah, I remember that game, and I don't remember playing with my brothers. I just remember shooting marbles and <laughs> trying to hit these things. I feel like it's a very, you know, good game for solo play, really, because you could set up the castle and then just attack it by yourself. Do you really need another person? No, not at all. Is there even rules? I don't know. I don't think I ever, A, I did not see rules in the box that I bought, and B, I don't think there is, like, what would the rules be? I think it's what you said. Shoot the dudes. Shoot the dudes, right? Like, I feel the best games of our childhood had little to no rules. Yeah, I think so. Or just like very simple rules. Oh, have we come such a long way. (laughs) You know, 14 page rule books, you know, games that take up the whole six foot table. And then some. And then some. Yeah. You know, we've come a long way. I've come a long way in my board game playing, mostly because as a child, we didn't really play traditional board games. Yes, we had Monopoly. Yes, we would play it occasionally. But I mean, the game lasted forever and we normally would cut it short before there was ever a true winner. Mostly we would stop when somebody got upset. We also had the game of life which I remember playing as an older child with my sisters and my brother-in-law. And I ended up having like six sets of twins. Like I think I hit every (laughs) twin spot, which was awful. Um, But mostly we played a lot of card games. Um, Specifically, we played cribbage. My grandparents taught us all to play. It was kind of a standard, you know, simple. You have a board, you score to 121 points. Can't really play it without the board and the pegs. It's a little difficult. And a deck of cards, really simple to play. Um, I'm also pretty sure that's how my grandparents and my parents taught me math. Because you had to be able to count at least to 15. And... Ideally, you had to be able to count to 31 and know, like, okay, well, if I have 28 and I I can't play a four, you know, I can play three or less. Like, I feel like it really did teach us how to count and do math. So it was educational. So what you're saying is I could never play cribbage. No, I think I could teach you. It's really not that hard. I, I only have one hand that I can count on. Anything beyond those two hands, the 10, I, I'm done. 
it's okay. If I can teach some very simple pe- people to play, then you can, you can play. It's not hard. You know, like it's a deck of cards. You deal out. Well, ideally you play with two players. You can play with three. You can play with four. But when you play with four, you have to play with teams, which makes it a little bit more complicated in my opinion. You deal out six cards to each player. You, of those six cards, cards each player discards two cards into what's called the crib, which goes to the dealer, which is an extra way to score points at the end. And then you just kind of go back and forth playing cards. Um, You stop when you hit 31 or 30. Like if you can't go any further, then you have to stop. Um, You score points along the way. You want to peg, which is how you get your points for making runs and pairs and triplets and all that stuff. And then at the end, you count your hand, the cards in your hand. Um, 15 gets you two points. So any way that you can make 15, you get two. For pairs, you get points. Again, if you have sets of three, sets of four, more points. It's super easy. And I wasn't paying any attention to any of your explanation. No, and I mean, like... But hey, that's okay. We've got plenty of time to do such stuff. It's true. We have lots of time to do such stuff. And I mean, like, I think it's just such a fundal, fundamental part of my childhood because we played it all the time when I was a kid. All the time. Like, between my sisters and I, between my dad and I, between my grandparents and I. We also played Rummy Cub, which was another standard. Who hasn't played that? And that, so you had an educational game. I had a silly game. <laughs> no, wow, you how had... are we different? <laughs> That's okay, though. No, I don't know. Silly, maybe not. Um, dangerous, maybe. But anyways, <laughs> that is what we have been playing. Not necessarily actually up until this Wednesday. It's what we played in our past as our youth. Yeah, it's what we grew up playing. Uh, and that is what two we've picked. So that's all. We hope you enjoyed that. And you can find us on Twitter and at Instagram at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. Um, we post both of those as we also have a YouTube channel. Now that's a, not a straight up uh, link. You'll have to click on either of those. Yep. That's clickbait right there. Yeah. You got to you gotta follow us and check it, our profiles. Exactly. If you go to either of our profiles, it's um, the best way to find our YouTube channel. Also, if you want to contact us by email or anything like that. Um, if not, you can try the good old fashioned searching for Mr. Board Games in YouTube, but you might get led astray. So we'd much rather you just go to our Instagram instead. So, and until next week. Um, you took it off the board. What am I? I was hoping you'd just tell them who you are. Oh, I'm M, and you should keep it on the rails. And I'm R, and we want you to keep the dice on the table. <laughs> Have a good one. Hey everybody, this is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers Community here in Saskatoon. And uh, not to do repeat, but uh, I also am going to talk about Crokinole, a game from my past, a memorable game. But I'm, I'm more so going to talk about the experiential uh, importance. Uh, I'm, uh, so 
let's first of all identify that uh, this game Crokino was created, designed, uh, in, uh, came to fruition uh, some you know years, few years after uh, can the creation of Canada, a few years after Confederation. Um, so this was uh, was created in was 18, 1876. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, um, this uh, I could go deep into the the cultural, you know, because it's basically a dartboard laying flat on a table, or for some that will also affectionately know, uh, a curling a curling house <laughs> on your kitchen table. Um, basically, Crokinole is the the best flicking game ever created. Uh, it has this, it has this uh, a connection, a lure. Um, the roots grow deep in this game. Now, for me, uh, I literally play. You know what you've been playing Wednesday. We play this every morning, my son and I, before he goes off to school. My daughter likes to play it, but uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel and I will play it, and we'll just we'll come up with our own little kind of, you know, uh, like basketball horse. You know, try and do this, try and do that. And uh, so, as far as the game goes, it has a set of rules, uh, and and you can go uh, check that out on Board Game Geek. But um, for me, it's what I want to pass on to my kids. I want to pass on to them the memories that I created with this with this game. Uh, mostly, I mean, I don't know about most people, but most of my games when I was a kid happened at the lake. Uh, rainy days at the lake or uh, in, you know, screened in porch playing some crokinole when it's too hot out. But uh, this game definitely has a, uh, oh, uh, I'm very competitive when I play this game. There's, there's, there's some seriousness going on all the way down to the one cheek rule on the chair. But uh, it also can be that catalyst that connects you to uh, who you are, who you're with, where you are, what you're doing, um, yeah, it's it's one of those for me meditative moments, like having a a, a, a nice kind of quiet. <laughs> There's nothing quiet about my family. <laughs> I don't know why I'm even going there. But so Crokinole, um, yeah, yeah. This is always going to be. It's basically it's right beside the dining room table because at a moment's notice, if anybody says, "Hey, Dad, you want to play?" I'm 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 there like Kramer and Seinfeld. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what we've been playing and, uh, that's what we're going to continue to play. So at this point, I always like to thank you for listening and, uh, following all of us in our little journeys on this new episode that we put out. And of course, I want to thank all of the content creators that collaborate each week to come together and produce such an awesome piece of work. Uh, that being said, take care out there and keep your stick on the ice, eh? If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people of Cardboard Conjecture who always like to remind you, 
you know, that thing that that person said, eh? 